Shut up and sit down. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 150. This is the final episode of the Fitness Devil's Incarnation. Now, you will continue to get downloads on this download stream. I will be taking it over solo. Dean, life and business is going to keep Dean very, very busy. He does have the pump with uh, Jeb Johnston. So if you guys want to continue to hear Dean's incoherent ramblings, I would suggest very strongly. It always sounds bad when you say it like that. Like he's, he's got the pump. Actually, maybe that sounds actually good. Never mind. Take it back. Sorry. So <laughs> I thought you were I thought you were saying that the fact that I, I always talk you should about say it like the pump or something. Like yeah. like so like, like one the, of the views on our podcast is that Deed sounds drunk all the time. Anyway, so obviously if you've been a loyal listener and you enjoy if you've been a loyal listener, you appreciate both of us and our, our unique styles and our loyal guests. And you're gonna get more of the same from you know Dean and Jeb's product. And I'm going to continue on with this stream, and I'm probably going to fumble with it a little bit because you know Dean is great at keeping conversation going. But um, I hope that you've enjoyed everything as we've done it so far, and I hope that you guys will continue to tune into what we've got coming up next. There's not going to be a major format change. I'm going to tighten up some things a little bit. We're going to still be bringing on big industry guests, and uh, today to send us off, we actually got Alex Viata. Uh, he's returning. We talked to Alex quite a long time ago in one of, honestly, one of our most downloaded episodes. I think it's one of the top 10 downloaded episodes out of about 150. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So he leads the crown for the most downloads ever. I can see that one. Yeah, everyone says that. I don't know she deserves it. No, he was it's trying to catch her, and he, was, he just couldn't do it. He was close, but he, he never quite caught Sobe, so. But yeah, so don't fuck it up, basically. Buddy. <laughs> so we, we, I guess like let's start this off. Where, where, what have you been up to? I know there's like kind of a delay here. So like, yeah, what do you, what have you been up to lately? I guess it's just to kind of catch up, and then we can figure out where we go with this thing. Oh, lately, um, you know, honestly, more of the same. Uh, you know, like I, I was chatting with you guys a little bit, uh, you know, just before we got on here, talking about how you know, kind of recent move, uh, moving out to a more rural area hasn't really. Uh, changed my lifestyle that much just been um basically out here maintaining still doing uh, online coaching um kind of shifted my role with the company a little bit more i'm working with just a handful of clients personally um working on a couple side projects couple a uh, couple side projects with some good friends and colleagues people i respect in the business doing a little kind of behind the scenes like programming work for some of them um, you know, working still on educational content a lot of that really just trying to diversify and you know kind of keep myself busy right now um, it's it's been a weird time for fitness. I think, you know, right now, the last couple of months, it's not that our businesses are so affected. It's that like a lot of the public narrative is so affected. You know, I think for a lot of us in the business, um, you know, especially those of us who kind of want to stay on the forefront of things, uh, keeping your finger on kind of the pulse of what people are talking about, what they're wondering about, what they're discussing, you know, and it's all fitness related is something we kind of want to stay engaged in. And um, it's been challenging lately because, you know, fitness, you know, whether rightly or wrongly seems to have taken a really backseat in public consciousness. So, you know, it's a, it's a little case of where I think a lot of us are trying to, you know, we're casting around a little bit for what, what to talk about, what to discuss, how to help people, how to stay current. And, you know, I think sometimes it ends up with people putting their foot in the wrong areas. But, um, yeah, 
Well, yeah, and it, it's it's changing too because it's like, okay, we're over talking about it. Let's talk about new stuff, and it's almost like this big cycle. But I, I will say, I expected you to be on a bike right now, like <laughs> I, just because we're just know that Alex does these things on his he does Q and A's on his his bicycle. But you, you slowed down with those actually. Where have they been? What's that? The, the Q, I know. Well, that's that's really part of it. You know, kind of like I was saying, I've, I've got a couple topics lined up that I'm going to do longer ones on. But it just, uh, you know, it, it seemed to be the case that every week there was something people were wondering about or talking about or some new fitness headline or something and something I could kind of sink my teeth into and say, okay, this is interesting and this is current. Like, let's discuss this. And, and lately it's like, I don't want to talk about mask wearing. So, you know, what, what else am I, you know, looking at topics like that, it's kind of the things that come up with a bigger overarching ones. Like I'm working on one now on intermittent fasting, but that's not a quick Q&A type topic. That's something a little more in depth. And, you know, even doing a 20 or 30 minute IGTV video on it still isn't going to do it justice, though I'm going to try. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a little more of that. It's kind of where I've been. You hit on something there and you mentioned mask wearing, but it's, and, and the overarching conversation of probably the last, I'd say, four months, uh, fitness concepts, I'm paraphrasing you, have been hijacked by coronavirus. They've been hijacked mm -hmm. by uh, incidents of police police brutality, Black Lives Matter, social concerns, and then it's with coronavirus. Mask wearing is this big argument now, and I think that it, it's tricky as a fitness professional to feel like you actually have permission to talk about fitness. And I notice with uh, both the social issues, certainly, certainly with coronavirus and mask wearing, there's a lot of people in our industry. Two things: one is they're shaming other people, right, and they you know, even if they're on the scientific or ideological high ground, they're shaming people. And when did shaming become okay, especially by the people who would most loudly denounce, say, fat shaming, which we know doesn't change behavior, doesn't make people want to lose weight. When did it all of a sudden become okay to shame people? Because I'm reading one of Brene Brown's books, and Brene's stuff is great, and she deals directly in shame. And you can't get more explicit than shaming people doesn't work it doesn't change your behavior so i see people who engage in shame over mask wearing is a good example as is not really actually in their depth wanting to change other people's behavior but wanting a moral high ground to criticize other people and then what you see are these little echo chambers of people who agree and we have more divisiveness across the industry and then the other thing i'm seeing is the last four months, we have a ton of people in our industry who are stepping way outside of their scope of knowledge and talking about things that I'm sorry, they're not qualified to talk about. And one of the messages I have is it's really okay not to be drawn into this. It's, not, it's okay not to be shamed into feeling you have to take a position on a social issue or, uh, you know, a health issue uh, because this stuff is really the realm of you know, the people who are far better educated in this and informed in this. It's okay to, to stay within the niche that you feel you're most qualified to talk to your audience about nutrition, to talk to your audience about fitness and to try to make their lives better, right? Because we're all in this industry to try to make lives better. And we, we actually, if someone is, in, is actively shaming you into A, not staying on your mission or having an opinion about something that you don't feel comfortable talking about, well, look at the fact that they're shaming you. And maybe you could ask yourself, is this person really 
an influence that I should be paying close attention to in my career. Maybe look at the people who are really doubling down on making the world better within the scope that they know best. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot there. I, I think part of it is uh, the first thing about fitness is, you know, it's, it's one of these fields where you really get this, you know, kind of rampant ultra-capitarianism where everyone thinks that since, you know, being in fitness, we, we have our hands in a little bit of psychology, we have our hands in nutrition, physiology, biomechanics, um, you know, the, it goes down the list where I think a lot of fitness professionals, um, we have a very surface knowledge of a lot of different topics, and we kind of have to. Um, for what we do and for who we work with. And it's very much a trait of, you know, especially a lot of fitness professionals now to say, okay, here's something new I can use in my practice. I'm going to expose myself to this and learn enough to help people. But when you start to take that out to its logical extension, I think a lot of people believe that since they have put in some level of research on something, they are now a sufficient authority on it. And, you know, it kind of rightly or wrongly, like I said, it's, it's a business that really does reward people for a little bit of this, you know, jack of all trades type of approach. But when you get to more complex issues like this, I think it comes out really quickly that there's not a lot of depth to a lot of this understanding. And especially now where something that is seen as a health issue, um, you know, like, a, for example, uh, you know, the, the, the pandemic, it's, it's also tied into economics, it's tied into politics, it's tied into, you know, much more advanced psychology, um, you know, the the virology, the you know, epidemiology, it's just there are so many fields involved that are so complicated that this kind of surface understanding has really just kind of led to a lot of knee-jerk reactions on people's part. And fitness people are also, they're not always the greatest at practicing what they preach when you say shaming is bad. You know, and everyone is very willing to say, okay, yeah, things like fat shaming don't work. Make, making people feel guilty for their behavior results in resistance and not necessarily, you know, results in justifications. But we're not always good at really seeing and translating that into other areas. We, we think fat shaming is bad, not because we realize that shame psychologically is, is almost paradoxical and we've got to apply that elsewhere and have empathy elsewhere. We just think that fat shaming is bad. We don't think that shaming other behaviors can have the same effects. Yeah, they don't actually like take, like you said, they get a base level understanding of this one thing and they don't actually look at the bigger picture and say, it's actually a concept that you should be possibly applying to other stuff. And you see, you see almost like the chinks in the armor the second um, you get, what did Greg call them? Slacktivism from the fitness world. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, we, and we were talking about how you haven't really jumped in, but it's like, you can see both sides of it and you chose to stick to fitness, which is, which is a choice either way. But I mean, stick, like, you're good at that shit. <laughs> and, that's, and that's kind of it. Like, you know, I, I guess, and that comes from having so many friends across the entire spectrum on the very conservative side, all the way to the, you know, I'm a true leftist side. And, you know, when they articulate the beliefs and when they stay within and explain their belief structure and why they feel a certain way, it's logical. I don't like the idea of pointing at someone just going, well, they're stupid. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, most people, it's not that they're stupid. They might be uninformed, but for the most part, they have a worldview and the way they feel and the way they believe it's consistent with that worldview. If you don't try to understand that, you're never going to convince them of anything. But you would think fitness people, given how important it is for us to empathize with our clients, not, you don't just tell somebody, well, just throw all the junk food out of your house and eat some chicken and rice every day. That's not going to work. You have to meet people where they're at and say, okay, here's your behavior. 
here's how I want to see it change. I'm going to put myself in your shoes, not think of you as an idiot, but think of you as a human being. And think of you as a human being whose actions are based on your own decisions, your beliefs are based on your family structure, on your society, on everything else, on your current circumstances. And I'm going to try to help you come to a better conclusion, in my mind, by working with you, not by just pointing my finger at you and calling you dumb. I think a lot of what we're seeing in these internet arguments within our fitness community, which, which I always tell up and coming trainers, like guys stay out of that stuff. Okay. Like that's not a good use of your time. And I've noticed a very strong correlation with the people who participate most in that stuff and people who haven't uh, established a strong brand, a, a strong vein of success in the industry are not reliable content creators. And instead they just sort of live within these arguments. And I find that a lot of these people and they're on both sides of the ideological spectrum, they're not trying to communicate. They're not trying to change the mind of someone who has a different opinion. Like you said, they're pretty much just calling each other stupid and they are performing for the people who agree with them versus seeking a consensus. And, and I think this permeates everything that's going on in our world right now. It's more polarized than ever. And we see this, not just the fitness industry. It's, it's, it just, is, but just know that like, I'm, I would have fucked up. I've been, I've been posting those stupid videos with like my face on the thing and I'm making fun of keto and those are fantastic. CrossFit. Those are but I know, I know who's going to comment on them. Someone was like, well, what if these people get mad? I'm like, I, I'm fucking in the fitness sphere. They're all going to agree with me. But like, mm -hmm. I think that not knowing that is the problem because like you're pandering to, well, since you're pandering to your people and they think that they're, they're trying to change everyone's life and it's not fucking happening. But okay. I actually do want to, I forgot about like, you're like the expert in this. Okay, what's, what's your thoughts on this CrossFit keto resurgence insulin fat code? Because this is, you're essentially the dude who would have an opinion that's probably educated that I want to hear. <laughs> and I know you've given it before, but it's like, it's back, man. It's, it, dude, it's it back. Is. It, it is. And, it, you know, I, I think this is a case, actually, you know, it, it almost ties into a little bit of what we've been talking about, yeah. about meeting where we're at. If you talk about something like keto, or you talk about something like paleo, or you, you talk about sugar being evil and all that, it's not wrong in that it's related to part of the problem, but it's not the entirety of the problem. And pointing the finger at all of that, I think what CrossFit is trying to do, they, if you follow the general spirit of what they're talking about, you'll make some good decisions. You start cutting out a lot of sugars from your diet, you start doing a lot of other things, and, you know, you will see an improvement, but moving in the whole like you know keto sugar is evil type of direction obviously it doesn't make sense for the top echelon of athletes i mean you know it was the the kind of thing where you know when they would start doing that uh, the, you know, the, the crossfit games like the the meals be the day before competition and it's all like a keto meal and everyone else is sitting there joking about it. all the athletes are joking how they're going to go carboid when they get back to the room like you know it's this is something that's done as branding that i think is trying to appeal to like the, the average it, it's trying to influence behavior, I think, more than it is an actual true belief that this is the way to go. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, think, I think they set their targets there to try to get people away from certain things, fully realizing that it's kind of just creating a narrative that I think is trying to create good habits. Well, and I think that, like, it's interesting. I, I do agree. I want to know if they're, like, if they're that contextually informed. But they picked the two best storytellers, probably arguably in the last 10 years in terms of nutrition. For the general oh. public like they picked the dudes that, that got everyone to buy in and so it's oh. interesting that they they aligned with those superpowers 
and it's I want to know where it's going to go because I think that they're trying to rebrand as health, right? Like they're kind of moving away from that high performance athleticism, which even if some of those concepts are wrong, if people stop eating sugars and eat more whole foods and stay away from these things, it's probably as a whole net positive. It's still fun to make fun of, but. There's something important that is, uh, I want to jump on to include in this conversation. Notice all listeners notice that Alex didn't turn around and start shitting all over CrossFit. Uh, recently, obviously, Greg Glassman said some really stupid and sensitive things. And uh, Glassman, fair enough, the guy has pretty much a track record of being kind of a crappy human being. But when it'll happen, there's a big bonfire, you know, attacking CrossFit, you know, CrossFit was getting canceled. And I didn't participate in that. And, and most of the successful people in our industry didn't participate in, you know, reveling in the bonfire and the teardown of CrossFit. Uh, if anything, I quietly thought to myself, you know, there's a lot of people who CrossFit has positively affected. It's gotten them into gyms. It's helped them get in shape. Sometimes, sure, you know, there's the injury bug with CrossFit, but fuck, I mean, have you ever met a, a powerlifter who's been doing it long for any length of time who isn't hurt? Bodybuilders are all wrecked over the years. You know, your average personal trainer uh, may or may not be qualified, you know, so in every fitness setting, it's just that CrossFitters seem to take the ribbing a lot worse and they seem to be low hanging fruit. So, okay, cool. Making fun of shit, fine. But just unilaterally beating up on CrossFit and tearing it down, what is that? How is that helping you? How is that making you look like a better Dude, person? they got Gary Tobbs in, in Fung. I don't like those guys, and I actually think they're both charlatans. I'll say that. But here's the important point is, you know, be very careful about jumping on these bonfires and these teardowns. I think you can have very critical, thoughtful discussions about the flaws in any of these sort of things. But I tend to notice a very strong correlation between the people who will jump on and participate in that teardown. And at its core, it's, it's a sense of resentment of success. CrossFit is powerfully successful. And when I see people ripping it apart, I see people who resent what CrossFit is instead of people who spend their effort, their time, their energy, helping other people, building other people up, building their own brand and offering positive things to our industry that help people. Well, this is the one where it's like, but this is the cool thing is like, they literally, so like, yes, they've gotten trashed on for all the dumb shit, their backs fucking kipping pulps. But then they stepped into territory where it's like the ribbing might actually be warranted a little bit because there's nothing even to do with CrossFit. I don't don't hear Alex. Alex, sorry. Get your finger up. I know you got something. Well, okay, so you know, I I agree with I agree with Andrew and, and your assessment on the two figures that they brought in. Um, in particular, these are individuals. Now, anyone who says, well, they're idiots is a complete fool because these are idiots. These are smart individuals. They are smart. They are savvy. And anybody coming in and saying, well, they're wrong and they're idiots is going to talk themselves in in, in a corner because whatever their arguments are, guys like Taubes are going to be able to talk circles around it for the most part. There's still a couple people in this industry who can who can beat them down in conversation. Granted, they may not have their charm, so who cares if you're right if the audience likes the other person better? That's neither here nor there. Um, it was a very smart move aligning with them because, of course, it allows CrossFit to kind of thumb their nose a little bit. It gives them two very strong storytellers to help them enact some sort of, you know, a re- revitalize part of their brand that was always very critical to them. And that was the whole emphasis on stay away from sugar and healthy eating and diet and this and that and the other. I don't think it's, 
I don't think it's the way to eat. I don't think there's any data that really supports that it's inherently any better. You know, the whole insulin hypothesis, you know, all of that has been thoroughly debunked. And I don't, I don't really think we need to do that here. But I guess the question is, and you know, with all these things, it's like, what is, what is the strength in what they're doing right now? If the average person looks at that and is being swayed by that, what can we acknowledge about CrossFit's current approach, bringing these two guys in that's actually going to be effective and that's going to be appealing to people? You know, it, it, a lot of the lessons, the small lessons they'll take away from that are things like, you know, avoiding refined sugar, you know, kind of like we talked about before. And those are things that appeal to people. And if we meet them there and say, you know what, CrossFit's actually doing a good job with that. Let's just avoid going, you know, full bore on it. Just like CrossFit as a methodology, as a training methodology in general, it gets people doing, it gets people lifting, it gets people on the barbell, it gets people moving, it gets people less afraid of cardio, you know, it gets people getting used to the idea that, you know, women can actually look jacked and be good. Like, it's done a lot of positive things. That doesn't mean everybody needs to go out and do Murph and give themselves rhabdo. Yeah. So, well, and it, and it, de- it defines two different arguments in camps because, like, the, the people, Andrew, the thing you're talking about generally is like fitness professionals and their fitness fucking circle making fun of CrossFit. And, like, it doesn't really trickle down. Like, some of it does. And same thing with this in- insulin or the fat code and fucking whatever. What do they call it? The keto for CrossFit. Like, that doesn't really, the good effects of that trickle down in the fitness circle, circle jerk that's we're making fun of it, where I'm making videos and it's kind of funny. Like, I don't know if that supersedes that. Like, I, you know what I mean? Because I think that the net positive is they're doing well, but it's kind of funny to make fun of it too in our circle. So it's, it's weird because it's, I don't even know if it's a dumpster fire because I don't think anything's even changed. I think that's yeah. actually hit on a good point. You have to decide, okay, where is it okay to just kind of have a, an internal community? Okay. Like having a chuckle at it, but I find it rarely stays or I find that it manifests as kind of this waste of time of just perpetually complaining about shit beyond your control. And it's this external locus of control versus stopping and going, okay, well, you know what? I'm not going to fucking worry about CrossFit, what they're doing, because at the end of the day, you should do everything you can to be an appealing brand to grow your reach, you know, and, and take control of what you can actually control versus whining about shit that's beyond your control so you can help more people. And I think that's at the heart of a lot of these problems is it's easier just to whine and moan and go, well, I'm not successful because, you know, CrossFit is out there and they're aligning with you know these people and they're they're spreading lies well okay how about you make your truths so accessible and interesting that people cannot help but find you oh man your point about tubs and fung yeah okay like i've used the term charlton on these guys but these guys are great marketers there's a a famous example where tubs and uh, stefan guinea uh debated what the fuck that was on rogan wasn't it and so in guinea uh, the hungry brain, everybody go read that fucking book. It's amazing. And all of the evidence-based community are like, Oh, DNA crushed hopes. But to an average listener, DNA came off as unsympathetic, fair, kind of condescending, not necessarily charismatic. Whereas Tobes, great storyteller. And even though he's peddling a lot of stuff that isn't factually based, he's weaving it into such an effective narrative that the average listener, the everyday person probably thinks that Tobes, presented the more compelling argument, even if it wasn't. Narrative drives society at this point. Like, and he's like, he's, he's probably one of the best. He's like, he's one of the best at it. It's, it's actually kind of amazing. If, if, if the evidence-based community could tell stories like that, like, I don't know how, I don't, I don't but know they're just Pissing and moaning about shit that's beyond their control. And I know I keep coming back to that point, but that's a point of frustration. And when I see people who just, all they want to do is complain, 
instead of working really hard to actually accomplish something of their own, th those are people I don't want to expose myself to. That's not people I want to, you know, to, to listen to or get caught up in those conversations. I would really rather write. I would rather work on my own social media. I would rather behind the scenes help friends careers and build them up and create connections. So that way the people in my world are being successful. Right? That's the stuff I'm interested in. You know, and I think, I think what's so important and what a lot of people don't realize is that one of the critical keys to success for a fitness professional, especially is empathy. It's the idea that if someone is talking to you, even if they're presenting something and you think what they've just said is an absolute pile of nonsense. If you start out and say, you know what, you make a couple good points. Uh, you know, I, I see what you're saying, but have you thought about this? That is so much more effective. Like for, for a field that, you know, you, you look at the best and the brightest, and you look at the good marketers and you look at the people who succeed, they're always the ones to sit down and say, I understand what you're struggling with right now. I understand what you're feeling. I'm going to listen to you and I'm not going to make you feel bad for thinking this. I'm going to make you feel like, Hey, I understand your problem. That is such a different mindset than the type that sits down and says, well, that's stupid. And that's, I mean, that's really the key there. I mean, you guys know, like it's that whole, offer value instead of saying something else is dumb have empathy rather than just shooting down other people's conversations and maybe there's like a deeper question did this did this ever happen because like you basically kind of came in not came at the industry but like concurrent training was like was it ever shit on in the sense where like you had to defend it and now you're kind of at the spot like did that ever happened to you in the beginning because you had some weird ideas that like people wouldn't necessarily test because it's like well, you can't do that cardio is stupid <laughs> idiot no. Really, what was really interesting, and I think what really helped take it on was, um, you know, when I first started out, I, I just pointed to people who are already doing it. You know, it, uh, I pointed to rugby players, to, you know, guys in the military, to, you know, track cyclists squatting 300 kilos. It's, it was the kind of thing where you show people that you're not, you're not some arbiter of knowledge. You're not some arbiter of the truth. You're just kind of a conduit for you know, helping, helping people find things that work or opening their minds and everything else. And by making it not about you, which is the goal, sometimes it is anyway, um, you let people find themselves in it. You let them come to the answers and come to the responses and, and come to the conclusions that you're espousing by looking at other examples. You're just kind of opening the door. You're not kicking them through it or, you know, pulling a collar around their neck and you know, jerking them the way you want them to go. So. Yeah, if anyone watched, well, I guess we don't have this on video. You were definitely jerking it. It was, <laughs> sorry, I had, to, I had to say it. Um, okay, maybe let's put this into something kind of more recent. Has, has there been anything that's like changed recently, like in terms of your overall philosophy? Because like, let's like look back, to like even when you did the hybrid athlete, have you, have you kind of changed your mind about anything? Like, I, I guess recently with all the new research coming out? You know, honestly, I think if anything, a lot of the research coming out has shown me it's maybe even a little less complicated than I thought it was. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it, it's like when you start anything, when you say you've been trying to lose weight for, for years and years and years, you finally find one method that works and you think this is the answer. And you know, you, as, as you use that method to go on, it gets more and more complicated and more and more complicated. And you think, what are the factors that made it succeed? And, you know, you, you can pull little things out. Like, say you stick to the same diet every day or you restrict it further and further and you get better and better results. What are the parts of this whole approach that are actually succeeding for you? 
And I think early on, less so during the hybrid athlete, when I wrote that book, it was pretty, it was much more general, but I think you could see in my programming, there were a lot of specifics, a lot of specifics on consolidation of stressors and which muscles to use and whether to use, you know, concentric only movements when you're working the antagonist movement and the lifting. And, you know, kind of as it went on, I realized that you could get equally effective results by easing up on some of those issues. And a lot of the a lot of the things that determine the success of a hybrid program or concurrent training are not necessarily the, you know, absolute specifics on biomechanics, but, you know, things that are a little more squishy, a little more subjective, a little uh, things more like, um, you know, obviously recovery aspects, but neurological aspects of it, uh, psychological aspects of the training, nutrient balance and things like that. So uh, my approach has definitely gotten less complicated as time has gone on, like a little more intuitive, a little more flexibility in what you can do, um, which, appeals to some people and doesn't appeal to others. Cause like everything else, a lot, there are some people who just want answers mm-hmm. and who want to optimize everything and control every last variable. And when you say, well, that doesn't really matter. They aren't too happy to hear that. It's actually interesting you say that. Cause like you're, ta- I remember actually the antagonist argument and all that stuff. But if you look at like a lot of the factors, like you, a lot of it was just recovery, but then you look at the tempo stuff and like, it was just lighter loads at the end of the day. And like that probably intuitively, like if you're lifting five second centrics, you're going to lift lighter and maybe that's the reason, but it's, it's kind of cool to see that progression. Cause like you said, things haven't changed, but things have changed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a lot of, a lot of the details have kind of softened a little bit and you look at something and you realize, Oh, that's why that worked. It wasn't this great complicated convoluted reason. It was actually relatively simple. Like, like you said, like I, I was doing all that tempo lifting, but really I was just using less weight and not doing, you know, kind of high speed eccentric movement all the time. And that's why I could recover better. No. Yeah, and like we kind of get into it's actually kind of cool now. And you had like I don't think it was it was your cycling one about the hypertrophy stuff, but you could see a lot of like your nuance, the nuanced approach of the hypertrophy research and your evaluation of it kind of is that same concept you literally just said. Yeah, everyone's going too crazy about this shit. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, again, you know, I think it kind of interesting that that ties back to a little bit we were talking about, like the the whole being you know in fitness of any sort there are so many different things you have to take into account that you know so many different disciplines and sciences and everything else that sometimes you don't quite know what you're looking at from the big picture and you know you don't have enough in-depth knowledge in any one area to realize that you're making a very elementary mistake in you know your assumption of how this particular mechanism is working so you know if you only have a rudimentary understanding of biomechanics you may not necessarily know why something works you just know that it does and not knowing the why makes it harder to break it down and reconstruct it. So, well, then people get this was on my other podcast, but with Cassim, and he does a lot of applied stuff. And at the same time, you almost get shit on for trying stuff and practicing stuff ahead of the curve. When me, it's just interesting because, like, I wouldn't say that everything was backed by research when you were doing it initially. Like, there was probably a lot of applied stuff from your background as an athlete. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was it. I mean, a lot, a lot of my early stuff was applied. A lot of it was honestly just even working with athletes that I knew, working with uh, the crew team at Duke. They were hugely helpful um, at the time. I mean, you know, talk, I think granted they were, I mean, you know, they, they did the strength training, they did the endurance training and looking at how their programs were put together. And, you know, I was on a rugby team at the time and granted it was a, you know, kind of a, some of them were more beer league rugby players, but some of them were pretty good. 
And uh, the ones whose training involved more than, you know, literally just carrying the keg out of the field at halftime, actually, like you could see a lot of these components in their training. So not a lot of research behind it, but a lot of kind of best practices that you compile over time. I'm starting to piece together why you like beer. <laughs> Your actual whole persona now is like literally just rooted in rugby culture. <laughs> Honestly, man, a huge part of it. That's one of the reasons I love the sport. I was like, it's, you go out, you play hard, you drink beer to recover, and then you go back out again. Except for you figured it out. You're like, my, bo I, my body's fucked up for rugby. I'm just going to train and do the same thing, but possibly yeah. by myself sometimes. Yeah, well, basically. <laughs> I don't know, Andrew, look like you had something to add there. I wasn't really. I really didn't. I've just actually been kind of quietly following along. I, I really don't have anything to say or offer at the moment. So I'll just continue with that stream of thought. Well, it was more, it was more just like, I like where that's going because it kind of ties back to what we we're talking before. It's just like, it, everything's getting so complicated now. And like, even if we look back to our first podcast, we're talking HRV and all this other bullshit. And like, even that's not seeing a resurgence, but it's like, now all these complicated things are just becoming simple things. And it's kind of nice to see, but it's also at the same time, there's people trying to make it more complicated. I don't know. Maybe that's how progress is made. It's just like the cyclical nature of, because since we talk now, hypertrophy research went, everyone fucking shit on that and blah, 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 blah. And now it's coming out the other end. It's like, well, maybe just work harder. <laughs> what you see about overcomplicating stuff is, you know, in, in some cases they're very, very good people, but in some cases it's just people who are trying to establish a brand out of like, we, we understand a lot about nutrition. We understand about a lot, a lot about human physiology and training. So there's, there's a, probably a lot less major breakthroughs that are yet to be discovered compared to the stuff that we already know. So a lot of the times someone is just really creating a brand or a market by taking a fairly simple concept and making it very, very complex or elaborate. And we see that. And sometimes it's someone who's on the forefront of doing, and then their, their intentions are positive and they're genuinely trying to do good things. I mean, Alex, you've described this more or less yourself where you had all these concepts and you realize, oh shit, this actually stuff is probably a little bit simpler than I originally thought. But then you get the, the, the marketers and the influencer types who are grabbing onto you know, a concept like fuck keto, right? How many, how many fitness people have branded themselves as you know, a keto person or as a paleo person? Like, you know, CrossFit right now is grabbing on nutrition. And a lot of the time it's, 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 it's more than just, oh, you, know, you gotta eat the right amount of calories. You, know, you gotta get enough protein, that sort of stuff. Like that stuff isn't as sexy or as marketable. We've talked that shit to death over and over and over. But there are just so many people who are grabbing onto something and making it really, really complex out of something that's actually quite simple. I got to say that, that that entire thing, you know, going from like the, the, the Dave Asprey biohacking background um, could very well be that, why there's so much appeal in that. Um, yeah. th there's, there's appeal to a certain set in simplicity, but there's also this appeal in a whole different personality type where you know you believe that this is one percent of your problem and this is one percent and this is one percent of this one and you add all together all these different optimizations you can do and you'll be a completely different person on the other side of it and um I, you know i i, I sometimes wonder because I, I sometimes think about this because i i know a lot of people who who work with individuals who are both types keep it simple just give me some loose guidelines and the other people who are like tell me up to the minute how many milligrams of whatever the hell I should put in my coffee every morning, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting because they're opposite sides of the coin, but we see both this phenomenon. I think 
a lot of a lot of professionals kind of don't know where they lie on this spectrum and who they want to appeal to, and it's a totally different message. It's funny too. This is where my and I think you even said this in your thing because I actually watch all like I don't watch all of them all the time, but the hypertrophy one, I was like, man, he's on fire. But it's like the people making hypertrophy super complicated for the most part, especially when it trickles down to the fit pro land, they're not big anyway. So it's like, you're talking about a nuanced approach when you, you fucking don't get it. Like at least yeah. when Mike Isertel talks about shit and people argue and shit on him and Helms, like at least they're fucking Jack. <laughs> like that's the one weird thing is like it, it, the, the complexity of hypertrophy research has ultimately led people to get lost in the metrics and not apply it. It's almost like they want to just use the metrics to pursue why they're not big. But then yeah. not, I don't, it's weird. It's just fucking weird. Mike has an example. I mean, Mike does get very elaborate in certain sort of concepts. But if you, you absorb a lot of the stuff Mike is talking about, it's actually incredibly simple at its heart. And he does do a very good job of making it very accessible and simple. And, and like you said, Mike is enormous. Mike and I probably weigh similar amounts. And I'm a really muscular guy and lean. Uh, 260. Mike, and I'm 6'2". Mike is about eight inches shorter than me and weighs about the same thing walking around, which is fucking terrifying. And the guys around him, I mean, his buddy Charlie, who's in half his videos, Charlie is jacked as fuck. Jared Feather is jacked as fuck. That, that, you get lost in the nuance. Like, Alex can get lost in the nuance because you're fucking smart and at least you're big. So, like, you, don't, you actually don't get people messaging you being like, man, you're just too into the research. Look at you. Like, they don't <laughs> say that to you. So it's good. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, because I think, you know, and, and as you guys know, like, you know, you, you guys have both, you know, been at very high levels in terms of, you know, athleticism and strength and discipline and, and throwing yourself into it. You realize that certain complications overwhelm or if you focus too much on them, they do take away from the things that matter so much more. And, you know, it's the, being able to just do little things with auto-regulation, whether you want to give it a name like, you know, maximum recoverable volume or anything else. Basically, a lot of those things are just models for explaining, you know, they're, they're complex behaviors that are so complex, they're complex systems that are so complex that the rules are actually pretty simple to follow. And when you start getting caught up in, you know, maximum number of sets per week and, you know, time under tension per set and everything else, you're, you're looking at all these small details and you're realizing that that's, that's not what's critical here. And if you've ever actually put years and years and years of work into it, you would know that controlling those variables never really made a major difference to you because they fall into the subset of ones that actually do matter. Yeah, actually like bodybuilders, I think Gorilla would be a good example. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger never understood any of these concepts in, in terms of deep scientific, uh, nor did Ronnie Coleman or, or any of these. <laughs> But they rather intuitively figured out, you know, these concepts in terms of doing, you know, certain amounts of volume and a lot of the recovery concepts, you know, mechanical tension, getting a pump, or whether, you know, the earlier belief that, you know, a, a pump metabolic stress was a major driver of muscle growth or kind of more as I interpret it, I think it's sort of a concurrent thing that happens when you do all the other things that drive muscle growth. You also happen to get a pump. So that's not to say, you know, don't chase a pump. In fact, one of the best things you can possibly do if you want to build bigger muscles is actually find set and rep structures and, and rest intervals that create great pumps. Because if you're getting a great pump, that has a very, very strong relationship with correlation with actually growing long-term, whether or not it's actually the underlying primary cause, which I personally don't think it is based on, you know, my interpretation of all the research out there. So it, it all boils down to basic everyday behaviors, good 
consistent habit behavior, improving those habits over time, be it fitness stuff like eating the right amount of food, the right quality of food, getting enough nutrition, getting enough sleep at night, the unsexy stuff, whether it's career-based stuff where it's like, make sure you're, you're reading good literature, you know, improving all these skills, developing technical skills. If you add up all these little things as you consistently do them in any realm, you're going to be really successful. And like you're- uh, You want to talk about hypertrophy though, dude. Like the people that like, I, I, I like have this like avatar in my head of the fucking person who's like, you gotta get your sleep, you gotta read your book and do your meditation. They're the dude that's not getting bigger because they missed the boat on the thing that they're actually trying to do, which was essentially get a pump and lift heavy ass weight. <laughs> underlying things. If you're doing most of the underlying things that matter right, my, my thoughts are this. Like, usually the person who is reading the 10 pages, the person who is getting enough sleep, the person who is eating the right amount of food is the person who is being really successful because those kind of habits go tend to go hand in hand with a collective set of behaviors that will are the things that matter. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Versus being caught up in the minutiae. I mean, with the classic example of, you know, what supplement should I take? Dude, you're not fucking training enough. You're not getting anywhere near enough sleep. You're certainly not fucking eating enough food. Don't even fucking worry about, uh, you know, beta alanine or, or that's why I like Alex. Alex will like trash on it. And then he'll like, you, you go lift in your fucking garage. With the, you're like, Oh, here's my deadlift. Just, just so you know, I still lift <laughs> and that's helpful. I don't know. I know. I know that's on purpose too. It, it, it is. It is. I mean, you know, it, it's funny though, because, you know, as you were just saying, you know, that you do the things that are effective, you get to where you're going to be. It brought me back to the whole CrossFit thing. The reason why CrossFit can align themselves with someone like Keto and all that and tell a compelling story, because if you follow their teachings on a, on a rough basis and say, look, what I want you to do is four or five days a week, I want you to go get under a barbell. I want you to go get on the rower. I want you to avoid sugar. I want you to eat more grains or your like whole grains and like meat or whatever. Well, not whole grains, if it's keto, but you know, I want you to eat more meat and healthy fats and everything else. 98% of people in pursuit of those basic rules there are going to be better off for it. Especially and, when you take into consideration the average American, North American diet, right? Because that's, we're comparing that starting point. We're not talking about us and our fit pro understanding of things switching over to keto or, or CrossFit. We're not going to fucking do that shit, but we're not the ones they're marketing to do. And this is why all these fitness professionals who are twisted the fuck up about this are completely missing the point. They're not talking to us. We're not their audience. And you're spending your time pissing and moaning and fucking whining about it when you could actually be doing something to get, uh, you know, build your own brand. And that's, you, you want to help fitness professionals communicate more effectively, teach them better empathy. That's, that's really it. Teach them two rules. First of all, empathize with the person whose behavior you're trying to change. And second of all, be able to articulate their counter argument better than they can, which means you can't sit there and close your mind and say your beliefs are stupid or this is stupid or anything else. If you can't talk circles around somebody like Taubes, when it comes to you know insulin and obesity or whatever else, or at least stay on his level, you are going to fail if you try going head to head with him, even in arguments to a client. Because yeah. a client hear what you say, and then they're going to hear a rebuttal from somebody in that camp, and that side's probably going to be better articulated because you don't even know what their arguments are. And mm -hmm. misrepresenting the behavior you want to change never works. We know that. And, and further, that's, that's the key point of narrative is like, even if you take empathy out of it, even if you use empathy for the dark side, to like spin a better narrative, at least you understand it enough to like 
fight the good fight if you believe you're on the good side of things. Like maybe Talbs is right. Maybe we all got fucked and his story was was actually real. But does it really matter if everyone believes him? Well, kind of how history produces. Well, history is essentially a narrative, and so the people with the best narrative are generally the ones who are going to outlive a lot of stuff. And that's what that's. I guess if you even look, if you want to circle back to all the stuff we're talking about, like the reason why there's a lot of problems is because the narrative was fucked from people's perspective. So it's it's it'll be interesting to look back on this. <laughs> there's the overarching thing. Yeah, and point out I really want to say that I actually put this on social media recently is, you know, if you've got a client who is asking you about keto or paleo or CrossFit or something else, first of all, there's a very good chance there's someone in their world who is pushing it, there's a very good chance, like I found that if someone's asking about keto, they're already doing keto. And you've got two choices. You can shit the fuck all over it and criticize them and make them feel kind of crappy because they in some way, shape or form thought about this idea, researched it, and you know they're, they're trusting to ask you about it. Or two, you can say, okay, let, let, let's dig into this, okay? I, I wanna see you know, if this works for you, you're determined you wanna do it, let's try it. You continue to maintain this very, very strong bond of trust especially when it comes to nutritional ideologies, maybe some of those things, they're not consistently sustainable for most people, especially people who have a tendency towards wanting quick fixes. So if and when they struggle with it or they realize this doesn't work for them, you've been there the whole way, they trust you, and then you can turn around and say, okay, are you willing to try this approach instead because you know keto didn't really seem to work all that well for you? And they're bought in. They tr- you know, the trust bond there is really strong. So now you can help guide them into a direction that might be better for them, right? Versus just unilaterally killing that trust. Has, has Alex ever done keto? I've actually played with it, yeah. Actually, years and years ago, one of the first books on uh, keto I ever read was The Ketogenic Diet by Lyle McDonald. Um, back then, I actually tried, uh, I tried straight keto for about six months. Yeah. Then I switched over to a targeted ketogenic diet, then a cyclical ketogenic diet, and then I finally just gave up. Do you but, like it? Um, I, I did it for like four months. It was like, it was fucking just hard to eat almost 4,000 calories on keto because you're drinking oil. Yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. Uh, but you know, my, uh, my mom back in the day actually did the Atkins diet back when that was kind of the rage. So, you know, I kind of had the framework for that already. And when I went home that summer, she was still, she decided she would do the, you know, Atkins diet again to, to keep with me when I did keto. So, you know, it, it worked out pretty well. Um, not, yeah, it, it, I mean, at the time I was just lifting, it wasn't great for performance, but I, you know, I didn't really know any better. I just, I, I, I knew it. I was coming at it from approach of an end user who was like, oh, well, you know, I'm just eating, you know, eggs and bacon and meat all day. This is kind of fun. Yeah. And honestly, you know, putting myself in that shoes, like I didn't care about the rest of it. You know, I didn't, I, if you, if anybody, if any fitness professional had come at me with a wall of text, like I see in the anti-keto things at that point, my eyes would have glazed over. I would say, I don't care. I like it. <laughs> you know, <And laughs> that's what it came down to. I mean, I've, I've known people, I've got an ex-girlfriend who was a diehard carnivore for a couple of years and felt the best ever. Uh, you know, another, another ex-girlfriend was a vegan, you know, had been for years, you know, very ethically. And both of them were pretty happy and did pretty well on those different approaches. We also forget all too often that different approaches to nutrition will feel very different for different people. I had a client who I think she tried, fuck, I can't remember, low carb or keto, no, no, she tried vegetarianism or veganism for a month, three weeks in, she felt like death. She fucking hated it. Her boyfriend was doing it. And she's like, nope, this isn't for me. 
So it's not like all humans exist on that perfect point on the me the median on the bell curve, right? It's like wildly different people and different people are going to respond differently to, you know, higher carbohydrate, higher fat, low, whichever. It was so funny, dude, when you're like, you're like articulating it on Instagram, pretty much like pretty good, just like this. And the, those one dudes just shit on you. It was so funny. <laughs> my post recently? Yeah. When the dude was like, we were like, do you want to talk a wall of text, Alex? This guy had a wall of text on Instagram about evolution and, and fucking keto. And Andrew was just like, I fucking said that. Like, it's not for everyone. He's like, it is for everyone, idiot. <laughs> And this goes to everything we're talking about. I'll give a little bit of I recently put up a post because I've been absorbing a lot of Jordan's side stuff, talking to him. A lot of my social media is influenced by Jordan's thinking. So I'm like, okay, fine, fuck, I'll start using hashtags. I've never really done them. So I put up this post, and I think it was just, it was a really good post too, and it hit just right. So diets are good for, like, all the different diets are helpful. Yeah. For certain people, whatever. That, but anyway, so you go to my Instagram and you scroll through it and you'll see it. it's fairly recent. Anyway, so the highest ever reach I got on a post was like 4,000 eyes on it, and that was like literally Jordan Syatt sharing it on his story. And all of a sudden, I got 400 new followers in a day. Cool, awesome, good post. And then, so by the end of this one, the first one with hashtags, 40,000, 10 times the previous best reach. I'm like, I need to fucking go and use hashtags. It actually was like up near the top like the second or third scroll down on the keto hashtag, which is like this millions of posts thing. So like first piece of advice, use fucking hashtags seriously in your social media. Which was like the dumbest advice ever because everyone was like, yeah, where you been the last? (laughs) And and I also made the joke of saying, listen, like I'm way behind on this train. Like I totally shit the bed on this forever, but don't get so dug into not doing it because there actually is value. So I I don't know what Alex is going to say just for a sec because he was like, your eyes lit up. People use the wrong hashtags, though. Like, keep them simple in a lot of cases. Like, things that people want to know about. Like, a lot of people put in very, like, clever hashtags, and so many of them. And it's like, you're not not targeting it because your message is not getting to the people who would be interested in this. And this is where it gets better because he's like, he fucking used the keto hashtag and, like, that (laughs) opened up a shitstorm on his... It wasn't even a shitstorm. There's only a few of them. But I acknowledge this, too, is, like, if you're going to use hashtags like keto where a lot of extremists and, and zealots and people who treat nutrition ideology like it's religion, and you're gonna post stuff that's more you know, moderate or fuck, God forbid, evidence-based shit. Uh, and none of this stuff actually in any way attacked keto. It just, I dared say, maybe it's not right for everybody, right? But I actually kind of defended it more than I, I actually criticized it. But of course, you're gonna get someone who, oh my God, you know, someone said something that doesn't agree with me. Shit, I got to go fucking attack that. And yeah, you get some pretty funny comments, but you have to laugh at this shit. You cannot, you That's cannot take crap seriously if you're going to have a broader reach. One of my biggest pastimes and like, I, when I'm at, like, I fucking hate Instagram, but it's kind of funny to go on like Lane's posts or, or Spencer Nadolsky's and just like watch people who like try to shit on them. It's so funny. They've got two totally it's, different. It's like, they don't even know who it is. It's just like, like whatever, like not everyone knows who Lane and Dr. Spencer Nadolsky is, but they'll come in and say something like based on your post and just get ripped apart. It's so funny. Was Spencer had this like sweet, what, what was this woman came in and like did this sweet child? I got to go find this. You guys keep basically talking. like diets work. And she was like, summer child. Yeah, yeah, used to be somewhere yeah, she was like, you fucking, basically, you fucking idiot. And like, everyone child. knows that it doesn't work. And you're the dumbest doctor ever. She was a It was just hilarious because well, everyone should. Anyone who wants to know how to handle trolls and just morons on social media, 
go follow follow Spencer Nadolski. He has fun with them. He laughs at it. She had an opportunity. He shared her stuff. Everyone went and bitched at her on Twitter, but she probably like like you have you have the audience now. Now fucking give them your information. She just deleted Twitter. I'm like you actually. It was hilarious because like calling Spencer a sweet summer child because everyone was just like laughing because it's hilarious. Um, but she backed off, which sucked. And I wanted to see. I wanted to see her rebuttal, and then never happened. Shit ton of mileage out of it, right? And like, the, I think the mistake a lot of people make is they try to copy Lane. You mentioned Lane. I love, I love Lane. I'm like a lot of my earlier nutrition stuff I learned was a lot of uh, Lane's YouTube videos, which I still think are great resources. But Lane is very unique in his persona. He is a, his public persona is a bit of a, an overblown character of real life Lane. Real life Lane is a nice guy. He's still an intense dude, but he's actually one of the nicest people you'll meet. But online, he is performing for his audience and does it in a very unique way. And he is bombastic and will attack and do all the sort of stuff that honestly, most of the rest of us should probably never do. And it works for Lane, but I don't think it's a good idea to try to copy how Lane does it because you're going to cause yourself an inordinate amount of stress. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's funny because if you, if you want to have that kind of, you know, almost a very kind of aggressive counterattack style, you got to be prepared to weather that when it comes back. And if you, if you give it out there because, you know, you're, you're not expecting them to take it personally, yeah. you, you, you almost kind of have to dehumanize the, the person behind the screen name a little bit when you do that. And in all fairness, they're doing that to you. So, you know. Well, and it goes back to that thing, like, what you're talking about, if you're going to go argue with Gary Tobbs, you got to be, you got to have the fucking ammunition. And it was like, like, we had Joel Seaman on my other podcast talking about half squats and it, whatever. But like the whole thing blew up because like Lane was like, you're a fucking idiot. And Joel's like, you're a fucking idiot. But at least they're both PhDs and they could like articulate their thoughts. Even if Lane hates him and Joel was just like kind of being a dick. It's still like, if you're not those people, like you're not, if, if, if you put a post about veganism or, or fucking whatever, making fun of something Lane does, Lane's going to rip you apart unless you know the research. And like, there's, like you said, there's select people who can probably argue with them. You're probably one of them. But it's like, it's usually fitness professionals who have PhDs that kind of do that stuff and argue and can create a story. If you're not that, which most people aren't, like just, just be wary of it. Because like you said, they're not going to be able to weather the storm if that's the crowd you're pandering to. Well, look at this. This is an important lesson in this too. What has Lane done in his career? You know, he's a very prolific content producer. He is someone who, you know, I don't agree with all of his ideas and not all of his ideas turned out to be, you know, factually 100% solid. But there's a good foundation of stuff there. He is someone who's built, added to the library of what our fitness industry understands and knows, contributes to the research. Joel Seidman, I don't definitely don't agree with a lot of his training ideas, but Joel is creating massive volumes of training knowledge and a different approach. And he gets a ton of attention and has built a very, very big brand by the way he's gone about it. You know, we mentioned Mike Isertel a couple of times. You know, Mike will occasionally get in some sort of internet argument. He's told us he does that just to keep his kind of conversation sharp. He's also one of the most empathetic people when engaging in conversation with different points of view. If you want to learn how to conduct yourself on social media, watch how Alex, you do the same thing and watch how Mike Isertel interact with people with different points of view. You two are the two best people at this in our entire industry. Look at Mike Isertel's, I mean, your library of work is there. Look, Mike is producing. Alex has better jokes though. Thousands of YouTube videos and tons of other works and books and what not these people have built an empire of knowledge and brand if you haven't done all that sort of stuff that you think you're going to behave the same way lane does on twitter you're missing a really critical component you haven't laid the foundation the credibility and that 
empire of content to actually turn around and behave that way. Well, Alex is good at sarcasm too, which again, even with sarcasm, you got to be ready to kind of defend your position. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and every every now and then it, it does get taken a little bit too seriously, but that's, um, that's, that's kind of the minefield. And I, you know, I think the other thing that I think is interesting, you know, reflecting a little bit on, on the whole idea of, you know, kind of chiming in and, you know, piling on and who does these kind of things is I've noticed a lot of people who are serious professionals, they do have other things to do. And they're much, much less likely to leap in on these things unless it has the direct possibility of them continuing to give a lesson that they want to. They're not just going to arbitrarily leap in and go, well, this is dumb, or, oh, you should feel ashamed of yourself, or how dare you think this, unless it's something that then segues into a discussion that they actually want to have. And that's why you'll see people like, you know, sometimes like, like I said, like Mike Engage, like Lane Engage and all that, or like Spencer Engage, because it's actually an opportunity to have a discussion, but that's also why Lane is a bit more aggressive, but certainly the other guys, they're not demeaning, they're not rude or anything else. Other people will do that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, we talked about that even with Joel. So like, as much as like no one agreed to Joel and Joel's like, hey, this is my concept, whatever. He, we, we like straight up said, I like straight up asked him, I'm like, yeah, but a lot of this is marketing. He's like, yeah, like I want people to not get the full picture on here so that they can go to my fucking website, possibly buy a product. Here's all my research. You can disagree with it, but at least you got there. And like, yeah. that's the same thing with Lane. Lane went on there to go argue with him. So people go on to say, yeah, he's protecting science and all stuff, but that's his his avatar and like yeah. it's sweet when people admit it but like the audience doesn't see that they're like no joel's a charlatan I'm like joel's fucking kind of smart like even if he's he's the dumbest trainer in the world you still went to his fucking site <laughs> like think about what lane and joel are sort of doing and i don't think it was staged in any way but it's kind of like these you know rapper battles and what ends up happening is you know someone does a diss track or whatever and they start having this battle they both sell more records. They both get more acclaim and more renown and more attention. So it's very, very smart. It also... And people end up dead, dude. <laughs> I suppose there's that. That too. we lost Tupac and Biggie. Are you saying that... What are you, what are you fortune-telling right now? Well, one thing I was going to say is I don't think it's as productive if someone who hasn't built a whole lot starts picking, you know, targets high up targets and try to go after them. Dude, someone I, tried to do that on ours, like with, with Joel Simon, like, get me on a podcast. I'll fucking debate Joel. I'm like, no, <laughs> like, who are you? And like, the, like, obviously I'm doing the podcast to get views. So like, fuck off. But it was just like, he couldn't even read through that. He's like, no, this is my chance. I'm like, no one's doing that podcast with you. Do you think like, like, oh, I'm just going to go on Rogan and slay Lane. Like, no, Rogan doesn't know you. Sorry. But, sorry. That's it. Anyways. Sorry. That was my rant about it, because everyone wants to do that. But that's it. Like, if, if you're going to try to make your name by taking down somebody big, you better have a message of your own. You better have something compelling of your own you can refer people to. Otherwise, you can't go out there and say, well, I'm going to slay all these dragons. If nobody knows who you are, you're not going to do a thing. No. What you do is just, I, I like your approach. Like, it's just like, I'm going to go on a bike and do Q&As because at least I can double use the content for this thing or that thing. It's like, that's sweet. It's actually, it's actually was quite hilarious when you did it because I was like, how is he doing this? And I remember you were saying like, oh, I actually like research this stuff and then I do it. Oh, you didn't. Yeah. I know you have a lot of it on the top of your head, but I was like, this is fishy here. Yeah. <laughs> Not that smart. Yeah. Because, you know, that was that was always it, though, is, you know, what, what's always kind of driven me with all of that is I just, it's not that I hate being wrong, 
It's that I hate being obviously indefensibly wrong. You know, it, somebody asks me, what are your thoughts on this? The first thing I do is take whatever my gut reaction is on it and go research the opposite side. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to sit there and just find stuff that agrees with my gut reaction and then come out and say that and have somebody present me with something very, very obvious that makes me look like a complete idiot. Because then I've lost their trust. The best thing I can do is argue passionately for the side that I don't agree with. So that way I'm not going to get caught off guard. I, I know what my biases are. And that's, you know, I, I think that that's, again, you know, comes down to what we're talking about, the whole, you know, teach people empathy, teach them to steel man their opposition and everything else. You know, again, as a fitness professional, part of our job is changing people's behavior, is changing their minds, is changing their ways, is changing their perspectives on what they can and can't do. And for a lot of our clients, it's fighting lifetimes of thinking a certain thing and having them think another way. So we've got to put ourselves in our shoes, think about the things that they've been told that haven't worked, try to find the quality in those, find the parts that appeal to them, and then kind of morph that around into something we can work with. Well, that's like turning research into content. And I think that gets, I think that that was actually, if anyone was listening, go listen to that again, because basically you research stuff and then you write a post on it. It's almost like your own education, but at the same time, like you're weaving this story and it's not just a gut. Because I think that that's the, I don't want to say that's the problem, whatever, it's not good or bad, but it's that gut reaction is the post that gets fucking puked onto to social media when they could have had an opportunity to then look at both sides and create something a little bit better because I think that that's where it's lost. Don't do not go and attack directly attack the most emotionally deeply held emotional belief systems that people have. It goes back to CrossFit or goes back to things like heat or whatever. If you directly attack these things without actually have built any trust with you, you're not going to change your minds at all, right? So you're right. Like, but the entirety of this is, like Alice keeps saying, is coming back to empathy, right? And I think our industry can do a much, much better job of seeing empathy across the board, empathy when we're interacting with our own community. I mean, and even myself, I can look back at this and go, where could I be more empathetic than people that I don't agree with the way that they do? And the, the keep it all in check, Lyle might make an appearance on your post to call you a fucking idiot. Yeah, Lyle, Lyle, no, it wasn't my post, Lyle, uh, someone, totally, well, your post. no, it, it was my meme that someone else shared, it was Eric, Sal- Eric Salazar shared it, and Lyle just, Lyle didn't know the fuck I was, and Lyle came in and just had this scathing, thoughtless teardown, and I just replied succinctly, but, you know, honestly, like, Mike, Mike Azertel had some very choice comments about Lyle, uh, unsolicited on his last appearance on here, if you want to go back and listen to that, you're going to hear something really fucking funny. But, uh, you know, and I've, I've said this privately a lot, but I'll say it publicly right now, Lyle will never, never appear on a podcast that I host. Right. I, he, I'll, I'll never put him on. I have no interest in I think we should get him on with Alex. Uh, and unless it's someone who's literally going to, to rip him apart. Now, I mean, even someone like Lyle, he contributes a lot of... I shouldn't have brought it up. I'm sorry. I just want to make a joke. I'll, I'll, actually, I'll actually put some context in this. I mean, he's contributed an enormous amount of things to the industry, but kind of going to what we're saying, Lyle's a great example of someone who does not employ empathy and complete, acts like a complete jackass and an ac- asshole most of his interactions on social media with other people. And Lyle's brand and his ability to actually share his knowledge and influence behavior change was completely lost in, in the way that he actually just conducts himself and interacts with other people. And my first interaction with him was extraordinarily nasty. And so I just, I'm, I'm not remotely interested in pandering to him and I'm not interested in 
putting him on any platform that I have or sharing any of his information outside of this little conversation uh, to where I'm going to put him in front of anyone who trusts me as someone who filters the people they should be following. I'm going to, you're on the podcast. We've mentioned my Gizertella a number of times. We, you know, I, I love what Luca Hosevar puts out in terms of social media content. I think Dean Somerset's work is some of the most influential that, uh, you know, has taught me more than anything else about movements and, and mobility, you name it. Uh, I'm not wasting my time advocating for someone who behaves the way that someone like Lyle does. Well, because, you know, I, I think it's really unfortunate because, you know, I, I mean, even unsolicited mentioned that one of his books was, was you know, very, very influential for, you know, certainly a phase of my life. And it, you, you, you do, you say, well, you know, you, you have so much quality here. You could contribute to people. Why do you insist on alienating everyone? Because then you remove yourself from the conversation and you remove your position from the conversation. You say, I am such a reprehensible person in some people's eyes that anything I stand for, people want to stand against. I, you know, I mean, you're like, you hurt your own cause by being like that. And I mean, hell, we, we see that in politics right now, for Christ's sake. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's just kind of what's going on. Well, if you, if, you, if you put it back down to where we first started, like Andrew's bitching about shaming and all this shit, but there's been a few people who've taken themselves out of the equation of, we'll call it the fit pro circle, but like an influential circle, like maybe you could have an impact. They pulled themselves out of that just by certain tactics used the last four months. And people, I don't know, people don't normally forget dumb shit. Especially if you keep inserting yourself like Lyle, but it's just, yeah, it's kind of funny because I think any professional listening is that your work almost gets disregarded, even if it's good, which kind of sucks because like you said, it could be impactful. Well, put it this way. And this is a good way to think about it. When I put Alex on the podcast, when we put uh, Spencer Nadolski on the podcast, when we put, you know, you go back through the library of most of our guests. There's probably about three or four exceptions that we are like, uh, oh, in retrospect, maybe not. But do I trust this person? If someone who is an up and coming trainer messages and posts, interacts with them, do I trust the person that is on the podcast to be thoughtful in their response? If that, if the question is maybe doesn't necessarily agree with the way they way they believe. I do not trust Lyle to not be a complete fucking asshole to someone who has heard of him on this podcast. And if I can't trust him not to behave that way, he's not going on the podcast. I'm sorry because I'm endorsing him. Anybody we put on here, we're endorsing, in a sense, right? You endorse. Yeah, and you know, I think it's 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 difficult too because there are there are people who I actually philosophically disagree with, but I do trust them. You know, in, in other words, like well, for example, there there are people who I think their their approach to science is terrible, but I think their overall message is good enough, and I think they're so empathetic and so generally just generally good human beings that I'm like, yeah, you know, you know what, follow this person if and. There are things that I disagree with, but you know that I respect this person enough to respectfully disagree with them on this. So if, if this person and I have fundamental arguments or disagreements on something, you know that I'm not going to make fun of you for listening to them. You know that I'm not going to talk shit about this other person. You know it's just going to be a conversation. I'm just saying, I don't agree with them on everything. You don't have to agree with everybody on everything to consider them a good source or to consider them an empathetic person or to think about them as a positive influence. Something like my, my friend, Ben Pakulski. A lot of his stuff, you know, I, I read a lot of his stuff and I say, you know what, I think he's missing the boat here. 
or I don't think this is right, or I don't think this is right. But obviously his whole approach, if you take, you know, aside from all the details, if you take his approach to general lifting and health and getting good sleep and meditation and mindfulness and all that, those are good lessons. I'm not going to sit there and, you know, he's a good friend of mine. I'm going to say, go ahead, follow Ben. You don't have to listen to everything he says to fundamentally get quality from him. And I know he is an empathetic, nice enough guy that he is never going to make you feel dumb for asking him a question. I know if he disagrees with you, he's never going to make you feel like an idiot. I like that. That's, that's yeah. intelligent discussion. Not to mention the underlying thing that part of what we've been talking about here is people tend to confine themselves within uh, ideological echo chambers, be it social, political, nutritional, training philosophies. And then when you box yourself into that corner, well, you're not really learning a whole lot. I think we should spend a lot of time listening to and absorbing people with different points of view. I think that's one of the greater problems of the world right now is, you know, the greater polarization. You know, people are very, very intolerant to ideas that don't align with their own. And that's to all our detriment. I think we will be better off if we expose ourselves to different ideas. One, it will challenge your own pre-existing belief systems and your own biases. And it's the only way to get past some of those because I, I, we, we all don't agree on every single point. So therefore, I hope anyone listening has kind of realizes you're probably wrong about some really important shit, right? You're probably really right about some important shit, but you're probably wrong about some important shit. You may not truly know what you're wrong about. So you'd better expose yourself to some people who think differently because maybe it'll get you on the right track. I've definitely shifted my opinion on any number of things. Very early in my career, I read Wheat Belly and thought that was the fucking holy grail of nutrition. Seriously, mm -hmm. I actually thought that a long time ago. You know, now I realize the, the problems with that. But even cardio for lifters, like you, you guys just did one on chart experts with Luke Lehman and Mike T. Nelson, but you, you were tackling like cardio for essentially getting bigger and strength gains, performance and stuff, which not too long ago was like, the Instagram post of like cardio is going to ruin your gains. And then it became the other way around. And it's, it's still happening. And I'm sure you've been around long enough where it's, it's happened with other stuff. And it's just kind of, it's, I don't know. I think if you take a step back, you can kind of see the trends and then have your own evaluation of some of the stuff, but you can't know it if you don't know both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you, you honestly, you, you have to spend a certain amount of time, whether it's, you know, uh, whether it's truly embracing something or just kind of, you know, enveloping yourself in something you disagree with, you, ha you have to spend time on the other side of the fence to really understand who you're talking to. And, you know, again, I, you know, I think if there's, there's one thing we, we, we kind of keep touching back on here, it's, it's being, being a communicator is, is critical to what we do. And it's something I would tell everybody who's interested in fitness at all, is just be a better communicator. And being a better communicator doesn't mean using longer sentences or using more precise language necessarily. It means being able to speak in such a way that the person that you're talking to says, oh my God, this person hears me. That's I think that's a good point to wrap it up because that was Alex's long, was the, that was our short answer to a long podcast. Um, where, do, where do people find you? You're the last, you're the last guest. This is the last time I get asked that. On here. Oh, man. Completehumanperformance.com is my website. You can still find me on Instagram, alex.viata. Um, and I'm around occasionally you'll see me pop up in a, in a Facebook group somewhere or, you know, and you like to, swords, you like swords. And I, like, anyone who's listening, he's on the camera and there's just swords in his background. <laughs> there's like five of them and an ax. And that's a, that's a, that's a hunting spear over there. And it's, it's a spear. Okay, cool. That never made the Instagram. 
I don't know why, that just made me think of it. I actually, I don't know if either one of you guys have seen this new Netflix movie, Charlize Theron, it's called The Old yeah, Guard. Yeah, so good, and The I Old Guard. Don't, don't spoil it for anyone because Fuck Me is a great movie. Like, seriously, watch it. It's badass. Uh, and you know how, like, Hollywood, like, always flops these, like, when yeah. they overtly insert woke concepts into it? These guys yeah, do a good but... job of a, a female lead, a secondary female protagonist who's incredible, and and I won't give away a hint of it, but like there's some other stuff that goes in that direction, but they, they weave it in so seamlessly into a really fucking cool movie. And again, no giving away the concept for someone who hasn't seen it because there's something will happen to getting the movie that's going to fuck you right up. And then you'll see who these people actually are. There are some things that create existential dread when you get into imagining yourself in, in their world, being in their shoes. That's all I'll say. Go watch this movie. It's fucking cool. Hmm. What, what's the thing that she has is this, have you seen it alex yes i have is it is her thing because you pulled up an axe isn't it an axe or is it like a hammer axe because she yeah. had that thing that's like this circle thing yeah it's like it's like a gigantic double double-sided axe yeah okay bigger it was, than mine. and it was on if, it was based on a comic i think it's on a comic series so it was i didn't know like i didn't it was kind of just popped up i'm like oh, i'm watching this like this is everything i like in a movie oh yeah it is the best new movie I've seen in a really long time. And it's, it's like, John, it's sort of John Wickish, but with a really cool concept behind it. Like John Wick. And yeah. She still look, dude, she still looks good. Like how old is she at this point? She's, I think she's like 50. No, maybe I'm wrong. No, but she's just a badass. She's actually one of the best female action leads. Yeah, agreed. She carries that movie really, really well. And they, the cast, the supporting cast, they're great. They're all really fun. And so here's a, here's the thing I will say. So the main villain is Dudley Dursley from the Harry Potter movies, that guy grown up. And he's still one of the strangest looking human beings ever. She's 55. What? That's really? crazy. Yeah, like that's, that's good for her. She, like she looked so good. Anyways, <laughs> my wife's like in the background. Like, what are you talking about? I just saw Dudley Dursley, whatever his name was, in um, that actor in The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. He plays a bit role. No pun intended if you've ever seen it. Which is also Coen Brothers, you know the guys who did uh, what you call it, No Country for Old Men, all that kind of stuff. So. Argo and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Now I got to watch it. Damn it, cat. Yeah. Um, anything? Any last words, Andrew? Well, I mean, you know, obviously, you and I are both going to be very strong presences on our individual podcasts. And again, like I said, anyone who has been a loyal fan of this, you know, you have two options: you're already on this download stream, uh, subscription stream, and then obviously they can go over and check out yours as well. But you know, we, we've loved this ride. I mean, 150 episodes is pretty damn cool. And we certainly appreciate everybody who's been diving into them all the time. I get people who are discovering it. It's new and like going back through a library of 150 is, is terrifying. I remember, you know, when I found the fit cast, I mean, that's 500 episodes deep and trying to dig into a lot of that stuff. But you know, there, there's a lot of gold in here. You know, admittedly, we've probably thrown out a, a handful of dot episodes for sure. But I, I really stand by the quality of the overwhelming majority. The, certainly the average of what we've been doing has been great. Uh, I'm very grateful for the guests that we've had on here. And uh, I, I keep saying, that, guys, if, you know, reach out to us individually. You know, send us a message. Let us know what you think. I've gotten a few messages recently that have been really cool and supportive. And we want to continue to share as much positive information as possible that will both you know, make your career better you know, in terms of the career success side, the knowledge base side of it. 
And, you know, I know we have some enthusiasts who are listening and we always want to deliver on something that you guys can take away too. So, uh, you know, if this has been meaningful to you, go give us a great review on iTunes, go, go check out Dean's podcast, give him a great review on that. Go and follow and, and watch Alex's adventures. You know, he's genuinely fun. It's not, it's not traditional pedantic, uh, stereotypical fit pro bullshit. That's for sure. Alex is doing a lot of really cool shit especially if you're into the outdoor stuff, especially if you're into, you know, sports that have both strength and endurance stuff, you are the resource on that, right? You are the person people should be learning from. If you're a trainer who is, you know, working with athletes in that realm, go follow Alex. Uh, thanks, for, thanks to everyone for continuously supporting us. And I look forward to the feedback on what we have going forward in the future. Thanks, buddy. Shut up and sit down.